Hi, this is Nolte Manning II, and you are spending time with us right here on WGWG.org, CinemaScene, also Google Hangouts, and YouTube. We appreciate it as always. We talk movies right here on the range. Uh, very, very happy today to have a special guest, uh, Patrick Fabian. Patrick Fabian is uh, no stranger to film and TV. Man, you have done, I, I was trying to count it, and, and, I, and I lost track at like 110 TV shows and movies. Am I close? Is it more like 210? I, I just, I can't, I can't count much higher than that. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm that old for 210. <laughs> I'll take 110 and, and pretend I'm under 40. How about that? <laughs> well, uh, well, Patrick, you and I met, I guess it was over a year ago when you were on the set of a film called Jimmy that was shot uh, here in North Carolina. And uh, yeah. we got a chance to spend a little bit of time talking then and uh, appreciate you being willing to, to talk with us today uh, on WGWG. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure. It was, I tell you what, I miss those North Carolina uh, leaves. They were turning. Yeah. Like the last three weeks of them starting to turn. And boy, oh boy, that's one of the reasons you know, it's so great to be in the business uh, when you are working, because it takes you to places you probably wouldn't have paid for to go through yourself. You know, I, right. I wouldn't have sought out Kannapolis or Concord, North Carolina, and yet, and that was some of the most beautiful co- part of the country I've ever been to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let's talk uh, briefly about uh, about Jimmy and about your work on Jimmy. The film was uh, was released uh, just uh, earlier this month. Uh, it was on uh, what used to be the GMC channel and uh, Up Entertainment, uh, also available on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, talk a little bit about your work on that film and, uh, and, and coming to North Carolina to work on that. Well, Mark Feinberg is the director, and uh, I was lucky enough that he cast me to, to be in it. And What's nice about working on a project like that, which is a, a decidedly lower-budget film, and uh, is that everybody's in it together, everybody's pitching in together. It really is, uh, it harkens back to the, what I got into it for, which was working together for a theater project where everybody does something and it's part of a family. So right. there we are in North Carolina, and I'm, I get to work with Ted Levine, I get to work with Sarah Lawrence, yeah. uh, I get to work with Kelly Carlson, all these really great people. And um, and the script was wonderful. I'd never met Robert before, Robert Ludlow, and... Uh, you know, it was one of those, uh, it was a magical time, uh, because it was really fun. We had a lot of fun doing it, and I felt like we were telling a good tale, and in right. the end, that's what you want to be a part of, telling a good tale, and if you have, you know, good parts in that tale, it just makes it more enjoyable. So, I mean, I, I had a really wonderful time. I'm sorry I didn't get a completely giant theatrical release, but, you know, uh, movies find their audience, and I absolutely find the audience that it needs. Absolutely. Well, uh, well Patrick, uh, let's talk a bit about how you got involved uh, in film and TV, I know you're a, a Pennsylvania guy. I think you're a, a big Penn State fan. I'm, do I remember that correctly? I am, as a matter of fact. I'm a graduate of 19. I'm a graduate of that. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I graduated in '87. I got a BFA, and then from there I came out to California, and I got a master's degree actually in performance as well. Um, and that brought me west of the Mississippi for the first time in my life. And I have to say, when I got off the plane and I saw that first palm tree live, I was sold. I right. was like, oh. This is a good place to start. So that's where I started. And, you know, and uh, I got out of school armed with all these ideas of who I was and that the world was somehow waiting for me. And like most college graduates find out that the world is a cruel, cruel hard place. And right. It's not, it's not waiting for you. So I waited tables. You know, I, I did the traditional, you know, pay your rent. Waited tables and did theater for free and joined some theater companies. And finally, I got, I got a break. You know, I, I got a commercial. And I got my, I got my uh, SAG card, my Screen Actors Union card. And then I did some Shakespeare in the Park, and I got my equity card. And then from there, I just started building things. You know, it really was, what's next? What's in front of you? What's this audition? What's that audition? How do I get an agent? What do I do? And then you get an agent, you get more auditions, you get more opportunities. And it really is a series of 
yeses that don't necessarily come from the door that you're standing in front of, but rather the door possibly off to your left or to your right yeah, that you yeah. haven't anticipated, you know? Right. Do, do you remember what that first commercial was that uh, that, that got you that, that first oh, break? Oh, absolutely. I, I, Peter Spears and I, who he, he went on to be a screenwriter and a producer, um, we were wandering down through uh, Union Station in downtown Los Angeles. It was a, a gorgeous old Art Deco train station. And we did a Head and Shoulders commercial. And we walked up the main aisle, and a beautiful blonde came between us. And we did the old Head and Shoulders take and looked at her, and she shook her hair. And it took about, I don't know, 50 takes. We worked <laughs> for about eight hours, and right. all of a sudden I had a union card. And I thought, well, this is a good business. This sounds great. You're, are you, you going to pay me, too? Yeah. That's great, man. That's great. Yeah. What is it that uh, that keeps you in this business? Because I mean, I, honestly, every time I turn around, man, I'm seeing you somewhere. This uh, this season, I think I saw you on. I know I saw you on Hawaii Five O, and it seems like within the same week, I saw you on three or four other uh, other TV shows. What what keeps you in this business? Well, uh, you know, it's always interesting and new. Like I got to go to North Carolina and watch the Leafs train. I got to go to Hawaii and work on a TV show. Right, uh, right. You know, it, it always keeps you. Uh, keeps me interested with the new stuff that's going on and, and the thing is I still find it exciting to go on the set I still find it exciting when they say action I still like the idea of going to hair and makeup and having somebody else make you look better than you really ought to be you know all those right. sort of things which are shallow or whatever they are yeah. are totally fun I mean I enjoy being part of that process and um I guess what keeps me going is, one, I have no other uh, viable skill in the marketplace <laughs> so I'm stuck now in middle age with this and uh and also because it's always about, like I just said before about Jimmy, what a great story. And right. Was, who thought that I would ever be working with, seeing seen work with Ted Levine? Right. I, I certainly didn't. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm there working with him, and what I get out of that as an actor is I remember we were sitting there at the table doing a, a dinner scene, and I'm watching him do his lines. Now, his lines are, you know, the same weight as my lines or, or whatnot, but he's got something going on in there. He's got something happening that I go, what is that? What's he doing? Because I am interested in that. And it's because he's doing this great technique and he's got all this work and he's also taking his time. And what I'm doing right there in that moment is learning and hopefully getting better. And hopefully, you know, I have, uh, nobody has any problems stealing from one another. And I'm looking at him going, like, what can I steal from Ted Levine that's going to make me a better actor? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know? And at some point, I will be playing his role, right? If I stick in this long enough, I'm going to grow out of the middle-aged dad, then I'll be the grandpa. And so what are some things I can take with me on that? And that keeps you interested because it's a constantly, um, you're constantly observing what's going on with your fellow actors as well. Right, right. I mean, plus, what other business can give you, you know, rejection on a daily basis served up on a big, healthy (laughs) plate, so... (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, uh, can you tell us uh, what's next for you? What are you working on now? Uh, well, actually, there's an independent film I'm getting ready to start working on, which is sort of a, a karate kid thing with uh, with martial arts here um, in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, I was just on my very first Lifetime movie a couple of weeks ago uh, with Helen Slater, who I'd also been teamed up with before on the um, Nickelodeon, on the Nick Jr. Yeah, yeah. Nick. And so it was fun to work with her. I mean, there's a great c- case. Like, I, got, I knew she was on this, on this uh, Lifetime movie called The Good Mother. And so I got to go in an audition and give her a shout out, and they teamed us up together. It was decidedly completely different than the stuff we had done for Gigantic on Team Nick, which is us playing movie stars. 
which was also very fun. It gave you great clothes and a beautiful house you'd go to work to every day, you know? Right. But in The Good Mother, she was playing a woman with Munchausen's disease. I was playing sort of an alcoholic guy who was in denial. And, you know, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, so that's really good. Also, I'm in the newsroom again this summer. Okay. I had, a, I had a part last year playing a morning talk show host, and I have another episode coming up, I think, in mid-July. Okay. Man, you are just, you're just a busy, busy guy, man. Absolutely busy guy. It's so funny. You, you say that. You're like, man, I turn around and I see you. And, of course, as soon as, you, as, soon as like, they've, they've, they've uh, ended the scene and they've, you've finished your job, the very first it's actor mentality. I'm just like, ugh. I'm not working on anything today. I'm never going to work again. What's going on? I haven't done anything. Right, <laughs> you know I mean? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? And I don't think that I, I would like, I would imagine it's just human nature that even somebody like a Brad Pitt or a Tom Cruise, they've got to have somebody who gets under their skin and goes, oh man, how come he got that role? You know? Right, right. Well, well no. Or maybe not. Uh, actually, maybe those are really two poor examples, right? Maybe those two <laughs> gentlemen are absolutely fine, just the way they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brad, Brad Pitt, he had a number two uh, film last weekend with World War Z, and so he's probably going, man, what am I going to do now, man? What am I going to do now? Yeah, it was, num- do now? It was yeah, number yeah, two. It was number two. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Did you have family uh, involved in, in theater or in, in, uh, in, in this industry? Or what was it that, that where you said, man, I really, really, really want to do that? Uh, no, I did not. Um, but you know what I had? I had parents that were wildly supportive of whatever, whatever I wanted to do. And... You know, my folks, uh, my folks come from Pennsylvania, out in the country, basically, a little bit, and uh, they were the first people to ever go to college from wow. their respective branches of their family, so they valued education, and so they, they helped me go to school, but, you know, I, when I look back on it, my father, who's worked very hard all of his life helping his son go to college to have his 17-year-old son announce he wants to be an actor, for my father to be like, okay, well, we'll see what happens with that, is really rather progressive, considering where he came out of, I think. Right. And, you know, my parents always showed up to everything I ever did. Wow. And, you know, I still owe them for that, for all the terrible productions of Shakespeare that I've done and awful plays and band practices and the amount of, you know. Now that I'm a parent, I can really, truly much more appreciate, you know, what my folks did for me, which was give me the, the, the allowance to do whatever, even though they themselves were not musicians, even though they themselves were not, uh, you know, in the theater arts. But I will say to this day, even though it's been 20 years into a career, my, my mother and father will still be like, so, uh, you know, we're still praying for you. And they mean that in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Worried. I'm like, Dad, actually, is, this is my life. This is my career. This is what the deal is. Well, for you, whenever you're choosing a role, is it, uh, are you looking for, for a certain thing, uh, a certain story? Or are you looking for, wow, this, I, I just need some work this week. I'm going to look for work. Or is it both? It's a little bit of both. I would love to be, I think any actor would, would love to be in a position where he or she could go ahead and say, Nope, I don't want to do this project. I'm going to wait for this kind of project. You know, the next thing I want to do is a crime. The next thing I want to do is this. Most actors, I don't think, at least the ones that I know and hang with, are usually not in that position uh, because work is so tenuous. There is sort of a default to, you know, if you get a job, you sort of take it. And, and, and what I really like about that is that, again, you don't, know where, you don't know what this particular project is going to spawn down the road or where it's going to find you because everybody's sort of moving and shifting in the business, right? We're, we're all coming together for this temporary family to make this story. The story will live on its own afterwards, but the people in the, who you meet during that thing are, are going to go into other jobs as well. And so, so you take a job where you go, okay, this is not exactly the job that I was hoping for, 
But to meet somebody on set, you meet a director who's on his way up or, or on a, her way up, or you meet a, a producer, or you come into a casting office and you do a good job, and the casting director is like, you know, you do a good job for them. And so the casting director remembers you for another project that's maybe better pay, and maybe a nicer location, maybe a higher quality of script. So I guess, it, I guess it's a long, long-winded answer saying, like, uh, yeah, I'll do anything, and if there's a paycheck and a makeup trailer on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, uh, we are on the phone with, with Patrick Fabian, actor Patrick Fabian, done tons of TV and, and, and film, and uh, we appreciate him taking the time to talk with us right here on Cinema Scene. You know, you have worked with some incredible talent over the years. Are there any uh, any actors or actresses that, that you just said, I am so happy I got a chance to work with them? You talked about Ted Levine, uh, but are there others that stand out where you're like, man, th- I learned something from this guy or, the, or, or from this uh, from this actress, and wow, I'm, I'm so fortunate for this opportunity. Uh, two people come to mind immediately when you said that. Bill Paxton from Big Love. I was fortunate enough to be a recurring on that for about three seasons, and I played Bill's brother-in-law. First day of work, I go there, and uh, and I meet Bill, and Bill could not be nicer, you know, right in your eyes. He's looking at you. Hi, how you doing? Firm handshake. Hey, man, what's going on? I'm so glad you're here. Makes you feel very welcome as a person and an actor. And he's like, here, let's go over the scene before we get going. And immediately I was like, oh, great. He's the star of the show. He's number one on the call sheet. He's Bill Paxton. He was an alien, for God's sake. You know what I mean? And, and weird science. He's <laughs> yeah, he a hero. Right. And, uh, and uh, you know, and what he, what he immediately lets me know is that he's here about the work, which, which puts me at ease because if we're playing, if we're playing a star meter, uh, I'm not going to win, right, because he's a star and I'm not. But if we're going to play acting work, well, I, I know how to do that. I'm trained to do that. So if he wants to get down and work, let's work. And so that's great. And so then when we're on set, I just watched the way he handled himself. And he handled himself in a way that just said, I take this seriously, but we're going to have fun. So everybody else is expected to behave in the same way. So consequently, you get a set that's all full of, yes, it's hard work, it's long hours, and it's tedious, and we're away from our families. But boy, oh boy, we can have a lot of fun and get a lot of good work done. Um, I also noticed on his, uh, you know, they call them sides when you get there in the morning, they have shrunken down pages of the day's work, usually eight or nine pages of it. And on Bill's, it was filled with notes, filled with notes in pen, notes in pencil, thoughts on the work, uh, what a scene means. He had circles around questions he had about what the writing was going on. And I just thought, oh, well, there's a reason he's number one on the call sheet because he comes to work prepared. Wow. He's not coming in blind, winging it, going, hey, I'll just toss this off to them, Bill Paxton. He comes because he's ready to go. Right. And I thought, right. that's a good lesson, too, because it's not a gift. This is, I mean, this is not, this is not my right to, uh, to, to do this. You know, I'm really blessed that I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have a career. And anybody who I've run into who really is of that caliber has a work ethic to match. And, and so it's no, mis- it's no mistake that these people are on top. You know, of course, there's, I won't even name names, but we all know there's people we go like, oh my gosh, why are they doing this? How come they're so famous and rich? And, you know, the world's a funny place. But right. from my experience, the people who really work hard and really keep their nose to the grindstone about it are the ones who you see up there. You, you had mentioned, you, I think you mentioned two people. Was there someone else that, that came to mind as well? Richard Dreyfuss. Okay. I was doing a show called The uh, Education of Max Bickford back in, oh, I guess 2000. In yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, forgot all oh, about that show. Way, here, here you go. I'm figuring, oh, this is my ticket. This is my ticket to life. I'm number five on the call sheet on a Richard Dreyfuss <laughs> show on CBS following 60 Minutes. Yeah. I'm going to buy a loft in Tribeca. I'm moving <laughs> to New York City. I'm going to make TV money. Richard Dreyfuss is going to thank me as one of his um, co-stars from <laughs> the Emmy platform. I'm, I'm all the way, I'm in. I'm in the whole hog. Right. 
of course, the show doesn't get it doesn't get legs. They yank it, all this stuff. But right. we were working. One day I'm working, and there's a particular scene, particular moment that I'm having problems with, and I'm clearly having problems with it. And now the director's sort of saying, okay, come on, and he's sort of shouting direction, and I'm just feeling, I'm feeling, I got the sweat in the back of my neck, and I realize I'm not doing it well, and now I'm filming my lines, I'm sort of losing it. And Richard, all of a sudden, just goes, he shouts out to the director, he's like, hey, can I have, can I have five minutes? i got to make a phone call. All right, all right, so we, we take a break. Take five, and I start walking away. And, uh, and then Richard goes, hey, Patrick, and he just, under his breath, quietly, takes me around back of a flat, and he goes, you know this, let's just do this. So then we worked it real quick. He said, do this. He goes, can I give you a little suggestion? And I'm like, yes, can Academy Award winner uh, Richard Jordan give you a suggestion? Yeah, I'll take that. And he just gave me like a basic, you know, a basic reminder acting note of acting 101. He's like, when you do this, just try this for a trick to get out of yourself. Try looking here first and then look at me. And then remember talking and listening. Da, da, da. I, I don't even remember exactly what he said. I just remember he took the time out to do so. He goes, great. We come back around. He goes, phone call's over. We go up, back to one. We do the take, and it's uh, it's like I'd never done the take. Brand new thing, nailed it. I felt I nailed it. I do it. The director goes, "Great, that's it. Moving on." Wow. The director just just gives me a wink, and he goes, "Good one." And then we go. Nothing more said. Nothing more done. And I thought it's easy for him to blow past that. It's easy for him to let me hang in the wind and twist in the wind. Yeah. Because more than likely or not, they're going to cut back to his face anyways, and he right. knows that, and I know that, and so does the director, right? Most likely. Uh, but instead, took the time out to help me. This is somebody who's had a giant, long-storied, award-winning career. Wow! You know, and he didn't know me from Adam, and that's you know, and I, that, that made a mark on me. And that yeah. made me go like, hmm, you know. Well, it, and also, again, it goes back to the idea of, you know, he just took me aside to say, forget the lights, forget that I'm Richard Dreyfus, forget that we're on a TV show. We're actors. What are we doing? What do you want? Yeah. We're talking and listening to one another. What are your basics? And when you can go back to that, and thankfully, I have training. You know, that's an island. That's a that's a hook that I can that I can grab onto that can help save me. Right, know? right, right. Wow, wow. Well, and it's also when one of, when those things happen to you, uh, when somebody takes the time, somebody like uh, the caliber of Richard Dreyfus, that happens to you. That plants a seed that if you ever in that are in that opportunity where you can share some of your talent with others and somebody else is struggling, uh, a young actor is struggling or a young actress, you can go to them and say, look. You know, so you can you can kind of pass that on and pay it forward. Uh, yeah, you know, and I have, although it's that weird thing of, like, if you start doing that, then you're sort of acknowledging that, that you are a middle-aged man. Right? <laughs> hey, I've been around long enough. Let me tell you a story about Richard Dreyfuss. And they go, Richard Dreyfuss? Go, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh man. man. <laughs> well, I didn't mean, I didn't mean share that story, about, but I mean you actually share your talent and say, okay, here's how you need okay, to do yeah. it. Here's how you need yeah, to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and, and and it is fun because it is. You got to pass it down because you know it's, you know, every job is rough. Uh, no matter who has jobs out there, you know, the economy and all that stuff. It's all tenuous, but we are in the rejection business. And even though you stick around long enough and you're pretty good at getting rejected, it, it's hard and it weighs on you. And so when you do get the job, there's still that it's always fraught with is today the day. Today the day they find out. Is today the day they knock on your door and say. Yeah. By the way, you you're not good. We don't like you, and all your fears are validated, and they fire you. And so, when things start to go askew on set, depending on how the set is set up, you know that can either add gasoline to it, or it can help cool those fires. Right. Right. Well, you know, it's uh, I think it's interesting in in the world of Hollywood, and and I've heard this from some actresses 
that when they reach a certain age, they are no longer the voluptuous beauty and they oh, have yeah. struggles. Uh, is that something that, that you have seen with actresses that you've worked with? And, and why do you feel that that's different between men and women? Um, yes, it's something I've seen and something I never thought I was going to see. You know, when I first started off uh, in my early 20s, I'm going into audition rooms and I'm seeing these guys. Of course, I'm not saying anything to them because I'm thinking, you know, who the heck are you? Right. Well, why are they, they bring this guy in? He looks like blah, 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 blah. You know, it's all about, you know, young bucks. And then about 10 years later, you see that guy and you're just like, oh, oh, they're bringing him in. Oh, yeah, he's still around. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I guess I guess if they want a lesser caliber of Patrick Fabio, I guess they'll hire him. But your brain's still, you know, ego, ego, ego. Right. And then you get to your late 30s and you start walking into the room. And you're like, hey, Tom, there you are. Good to see you. How the kids? It all turns around because you've been in this baptism by fire for like 20 years. And you're also glad to see somebody still standing, for lack of a, a, a better thing. You know, right, you're like, hey, right. we've, all, we've, all, we've all made it through this thing. I'm sorry you didn't get to be Tom Cruise. Hey, you didn't, you didn't either, but that's okay. We're, we're working actors, and that's a real gift. Yeah. For women, the fall-off is, is so much worse because, I mean, just turn on the TV. All the 40- and 50-year-old men are married to women in their late 20s. Right. Rarely do you see anybody who's deep in their 40s or 50s, and if it is, it's usually cable, and it's usually somebody who's already been established that we've known before. Right. Rarely do we get broken a brand new woman in four, at 40. Wow. You know, that's a rarity. Yeah. And, you know, and it's Hollywood, and it's Los Angeles, and it's a bit of the culture as well. It just gets reinforced, and so it's that whole thing of, you know, it's, it, 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 it's hard sometimes doing this, but uh, if I was a woman, I don't know if I would be able to be standing here at this point. Gotcha. You know, because gotcha. it is. Uh, you hit 30, and there's a, you hit 30, and there's just a, 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 a new line. You know, there's a ceiling. And if you haven't sort of, it, the joke sort of is, you know, if you don't have an, if you're a woman, you don't have an Emmy by the time you're 30, forget it. You're dead. You're gone. You better go do regional theater and move to New York. It's over. Wow. And and that's just being really callous and cruel. But unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, lot of truth to it as well, though. You know. Is that is that um, do you think that's an audience driven thing? Is it because the audiences are not wanting to see that, or do you think it's um, Hollywood deciding this is this is the route we're going to go, or do you think it's a little both? Well, you know, I, I, which is it, the chicken or the egg, right? Right, uh, right. You know, go back to James Bond having young women, right? So we, right. we always, yeah. the May-December thing's fine if you're an older guy, uh, but if we switch it around, ooh, we get a little weird about that, or God yeah. did we show a, a, was it, I mean, like the Golden Girls even, you know, they were they talked about their sexuality as octogenarians, and, and people were like, woo, it was so racy. It's like, well, of course, but if you have a horny old man, it's somehow okay, and you know, those are stereotypes that go back a long, long way. Yeah. And I don't think you're ever going to really get rid of them. Uh, I mean, look, it's still still eyeball-driven. It's still advertising dollars-driven. And what are they advertising on TV? You know, sexy cars and, and beer, where, you know, somehow you can drink, you know, you can drink a 12-pack of beer and never get a beer gut and have that cute blonde girl on your yeah. arm all of your life. Yeah. You know, the, the, the selling of that, the selling of the illusion, is still the selling of the, you know, I'm the king of queens. I'm I'm Kevin James. I'm really <laughs> nice right. and I'm a big guy, but I still get to go with this girl. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and that doesn't mean to say that he couldn't get her in real life, but TV always sort of props that up as the possibility. Right, right. You know. Wow. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I, it's, it's. I've gotten paired with the people who I get paired up with as husband and wife, as as uh, as the years go by. Like I've, it's like at some point the girls who I used to always see as my wife wives have changed, and it's a new crop of girls who are sort of still that same age. Wow, interesting, interesting. Well, that's that's that's. I appreciate you sharing that. That's some great insight, man. It really, really is. 
What are you? Uh, are, do you have hopes and dreams for uh, for particular roles or particular things you still want to do? You have done so much, and it really is amazing looking at your body of work. But are there still certain things you're like, you know, I really would like to do that someday, or I would really like to work with that person someday? Well, you know, just recently they're making a movie of the play Osage, uh, August Osage County, um, and. Uh, I wanted to be a part of something like that, but of course, that's like complete A-listers who are doing something like that. Uh, the theater is still something that I, I very much love and would love to be in New York. My friend was in uh, Lucky Guy, the Tom Hanks star uh, that Nora Ephron wrote before she passed on Broadway recently, and I got to go back and see that, and you know, that gets my juices going. I got to do a play off-Broadway about, oh, wow, oh boy, 15, 20 years ago. And I still remember how much fun that was, you know, taking this train up to the theater and doing the theater uh, in New York City, you know, every night. I've always wanted to play the sheriff in a western. Yeah, you know, yeah. Nothing beats putting on a cowboy hat and riding a horse and having somebody, you know, let you let you do that. Right. Love to do something like that, and um, you know, I'd love to do a great trial, a great lawyer piece at some point. You know, um, I think there's still like a you know a To Killing Mockingbird or, or or the verdict sort of thing out there, but I think that's further down down the line. Initially, you know. Um, I think the things that you uh, you think you want, like the bucket list of, uh, of stuff, sometimes if you hold on to that a little too much, and you say, like, I must have this, I must have that, then anything that you're getting along the way is sort of lessened. Right. Because, it's, well, it's not this. It's kind of like, you know, it's uh, it's opening the Christmas present and playing with the wrapping paper, right, and ignoring the gift. Or, you know, constantly saying, like, well, what don't I have, the glass half full or whatnot. And it's funny, you know, I'm talking to you today, and you say, oh, look at your career. You've done all these things. It's really amazing. And, of course, my brain is saying, like, uh, I haven't done anything. I need to get busy. What's going on? And uh, it's it's hard sometimes to appreciate. Yeah. Really, you know the, the the blessings to have when it comes to stuff like this. So, you know, I'm I'm looking for the next role I have and see wherever that takes me. But you know, if if it has a horse, it definitely has a bonus in my mind. <laughs> I tell you what, seven years on seven years on a series, twenty two episodes every season, and we shoot somewhere like up in Calgary and ride horses. Right. That, right. That sounds. Perfect right now. <laughs> or if you have any connections for somebody who wants to do a small uh, small film about an ex-patriot who lives in the south of France for six months, I'll right. be interested. Okay. Yeah. I, let, me, let me see what I can do about that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make some calls <laughs> and get back with you, man. I'll do that. <laughs> Well, man, we've got uh, we've got just a few minutes. I do appreciate you uh, taking time to hang out with us today. We are talking with Patrick Fabian here on Cinema Scene, and uh, let me I, now. I haven't asked you this: when you go to watch films. Or when you watch TV, what do you watch and, and why? What are what are the things that you're drawn to? Uh, I'm drawn to all the roles that I didn't get so I can feel bad about myself. <laughs> okay. uh, no, but it, it, is, it is a unique business in that you'll be watching stuff for, for pleasure and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I recognize this scene. Oh, I read for this role. And then you see somebody else do it. So it, it's sort of odd like that. Um. I was just saying this the other day. You know, I know it's not a giantly popular show across America, but Mad Men is yeah. something that I have watched. I have watched in order, not missing it at all. And uh, I think I DVR'd it, and like, there's been like a week where I've sort of delayed one. But other than that, I've literally watched that entire series as it's unfolded, as the story has been told, which tells me that I really like it and it's good work. Right. And, and I do. I find, I find that very fascinating. Um, However, you know, uh, uh, I was just, I'm just thinking, you know, um, Two and a Half Men also makes me laugh, you know, yeah. and, 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 and I'm sort of against it in so many different, uh, in so many principled ways, I'm sort right. of against that right. show, 
and yet I watch it. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. John Cryer is funny. John Cryer is a yeah. clown. Yeah. He is a funny clown, and he is, you know, I get to see him every year at the uh, the Malibu Triathlon. And uh, and what he is is a nice, gracious, down to earth guy. But man, on camera, he's really funny. He's like a Jerry Lewis sort of thing, you know. He's he's willing to be silly and, and great in that sort of grand tradition of Lucy and whatnot, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I appreciate that, and I and I admire that too. You know, Breaking Bad, fantastic. I got a chance to work with Brian Cranston years ago on a pilot that did not go. Right. And I remember talking to him because he lived in this place in Los Angeles called the Valley, and he was married, and he had a child, and. All of those things seemed extremely <laughs> alien. And I felt so sorry for poor Brian Cranston. Right. I'm like, oh, it sounds like Brian's gone to the valley to die. That sounds awful. And then I ran into him at the SAG Awards a while back, and he was like, Ray, remember that pilot we did? I'm like, yes, and now you have a shelf full of Emmys and all that stuff. And, you know, um, that's a good show. Just yeah. about him, so just, uh, you know, success hasn't changed him at all. He's right. one of the nice guys that there is. And, yeah. Uh, you hope to be that sort of person. Yeah. Well, man, we, we uh, really do appreciate you taking time to spend with us today, and uh, we've got uh, really about a minute left. Any final thoughts or comments you'd like to share with our uh, with our listeners and our viewers? Well, for anybody who's, who has tuned in or visited my website or follows me on Twitter at Patrick Fabian 2 thank you. And for anybody who's out there who uh, has an interest in the arts and wants to become a performer or in front or behind the camera, my suggestion is absolutely go to school, figure out some stuff on that, and, and do so. And get involved because it is really fun. I, like I say, it's 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 the best business in the world, hands down. Uh, when you're working it, when you're not, it's easily the most soul-crushing, awful thing there is. But that's okay because it's one day at a time, and uh, it certainly makes me feel alive when I'm doing it, and even when I'm not. And you know, I've really been blessed, and it's uh, been a great ride. And I look forward to the next uh, 40 years of uh, playing dads, thugs, criminals, and drug dealers. <laughs> Well, man, I'm looking forward to the uh, Patrick Fabian uh, CD because I, you know, I remember the, uh, the the music you performed on Working Class, and so I'm still hoping that that maybe, <laughs> just maybe, that CD will come out and uh, and I can get an autographed copy. So that's uh, that's my bucket list right there, man. No, I will, I, will, I will do that. Most of that music, though, to be honest with you, is still in my head. It's still fermenting, so we're going to work on that a little bit longer. Well, our guest today on Cinema Scene, Patrick Fabian, a wonderful actor and uh, just a great guy, and appreciate him spending time talking with us today. Patrick, hang on just a quick second while I wrap things up. And uh, to our listeners, thank you guys so much. Remember, you can check out Patrick Fabian's website, patrickfabian.com, and he's Patrick Fabian 2 on Twitter. Until next time, Noel Manning for Cinema Scene, and that is a wrap.